as we come to look at this theme of prayer in this passage, there's something about prayer that is instinctive, isn't there? Not just for those of us here who might be Christians, but even if you're here and you're not a Christian, there's something that when we're in desperate need, there's something about prayer that is instinctive. We just turn to it. I remember reading of a pastor who was on a, a flight on Air New Zealand, and he said this, it felt like on this flight we were falling out of the sky. We were approaching Queenstown Airport in midwinter, and there were mountain ranges on both sides, and a huge lake straight ahead. We were caught in a giant wind tunnel. The plane was shuddering and sporadically dropping 50 feet at a time. The cabin filled with shrieking and praying. Many people were crying out to God in whom they did not believe. Just as there were no atheists in foxholes, there certainly aren't many on buffeted flights. 30 minutes later, after having landed safely, the group of strangers waited at a baggage claim looking awkwardly at each other. No doubt many of them felt silly. The content of those prayers fascinated me. I suspect it reflects the way many of us intuitively pray. The most common petition I heard from some was some variant of, deliver us from evil, help, save us, and oh God, please don't let me die. Crises pr prompt cries for deliverance, with the immediate need for safety drowning out all other concerns. Whenever I listen to uh, baptism testimonies in my church, I'm struck by how many people called out to God for the first time in a moment of personal danger. It's interesting that when, when a trial comes, when desperate time comes, whether people believe in God or not, there's something instinctive about prayer. And actually, over the pandemic, I remember reading there that um, Google let, um, uh, put out some stats about how many people searched for prayer uh, during the pandemic. And they doubled every 800,000 people that were infected with the coronavirus. If you think back to that time when people were really scared and worried about what was going on, it's the biggest surge in searches for prayer on Google in history uh, since the, the Google began. So desperate need, desperate times, and people cry out. When we face things that are too big for us, we know we can't live life on our own. We know we need to cry out for help. And maybe that's you this morning. You're not a Christian, and you're here, and you know there have been times where you've been laid low, or where you've struggled, or where there's just been desperate times, and you've called out. You don't know if you believe in him, but you've called out. There's something instinctive about prayer. But prayer is much deeper than just calling out to God in a time of need. When you look at the Bible, it talks about a much richer way of seeing prayer. Uh, prayer is about us enjoying spending time with God, talking to Him, a friendship with Him. There's an intimacy there. Uh, so as well as it being instinctive, there's also something which is really hard about prayer because it's a part of a relationship with God. Now, if you're a Christian in this room this morning, let me, let me tell you that I know that you're probably struggling in prayer, because all of us are. It's hard work. We struggle because maybe we, our mind wanders. We start to pray, and our mind goes everywhere. Maybe we get distracted when uh, we come to pray. Suddenly, our phone gets much more attractive, or what's on the TV, or um, you know, whatever it is, things distract us away from it. Maybe we find it hard because we feel unworthy, and we think, God would never want to hear from me. We might find it hard because we think, well, does prayer really work? I've been praying for something for so long and nothing's happened. Are we just cynical about it? Or maybe we're just uncertain. What am I allowed to pray for? Or what am I supposed to say? 
Well, this morning we can be encouraged because we look at Elijah and he in the Old Testament is a standout prophet. You know, God did amazing things through him. But in the New Testament, when James writes about him, listen to what he says in James 5. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So here we see Elijah prayed, but he also struggled. He was a man who struggled with things just like we struggle with things. You know, when we think about the, um, the disciples, when we read earlier in, in Luke 11, they said, teach us how to pray, Jesus. Why? Because they were struggling. They were finding it hard. They were looking at Jesus praying and thinking, well, we don't pray like that. Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's hard. So when we come to look at Elijah, somebody who struggled, we're going to look at him in prayer this morning and see, well, what, what is there here that we can learn about real prayer? Let's look at five things together about real prayer. And hopefully we'll be able to remember them and they'll help us this week as we turn to God in prayer. The first one is this. Prayer is relational. Relational. It's about a relationship. Now, quick recap on where we've been in case you weren't here last week uh, or the week before when we've been looking at Elijah. Um, he, He was a prophet during the king Ahab's reign. And Ahab was a terrible king. He was an evil king and one of many line of bad kings, but he was taking it a step lower. And he and his wife Jezebel were leading the nation away from worshipping God into worshipping the false god Baal. And remember, Baal um, worship was full of horrible, dark practices that, that was horrendous things going on. And so what happened last week, we saw that um, Elijah called out uh, the Baal prophets and said, come on, 450 of you against me, and we're going to say which God is real. So they went up Mount Carmel, and there they prayed to their God, Baal, bring fire down, and there was nothing. And Elijah prayed, bring fire down, and God answered, and the fire came, and everybody could see uh, that the true God was um, uh, Yahweh, was Jehovah. And we see here that um, after that happened, Elijah, verse 40, he took um, all the prophets and killed them. He got rid of them because they were dragging God's people away into danger, and he got rid of them. And after that had been dealt with, after the, 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 um, the idolatry that was going on there, then he prayed. And then he prays, um, as we see in verse 42, he went up to Mount Carmel again, and there he prayed. Now, it's important for us to see this, that the sin was dealt with, and then the prayer came. And I think that's an important pattern for us to see. Because on our own, naturally, we cannot approach God we are not worthy to approach him. And we think of the, uh, how it's shown in the Garden of Eden. Remember how we were all created to be? We were created to be um, in that wonderful garden with God, walking with him, talking with him in the cool of the day like Adam and Eve did. That's what we were created to be, to enjoy intimacy with him. But then when we turned away from God, God says, right, you, you can't be near me now. You know, you've sinned, you've, you've failed, and their relationship is now cut off, cut off. So he sent them out of Eden, and remember what he put to block the entrance to coming back into the Garden of Eden, a flaming sword spinning round. So to go back into God's presence, you had to go through the sword. And that was, you, that was there to protect us in one sense, because the Bible says that God is a consuming fire. If we go near him as we are, then we are just going to be consumed. That is what would happen. In the same way that if you go near the sun, it will just consume. And so we can't go back into God's presence on our own there's a sword in the way. And so in the Old Testament, we see the the sacrifice system. So what happened? How could they talk to God? 
an animal had to have their blood shed go through the sword look here is somebody who's gone through the sword in my place and that was a picture of course of jesus the great sacrifice and through him on the cross dying and being our sacrifice going through the sword that gives us access to god so you have access to god the father through the son and his work on the cross that's why we say we come in jesus name we come because he is worthy we come because he's the sacrifice so when we see that the sin needs to be dealt with first then uh, we have access to god then the curtain of the temple was torn in two and we can speak to him so we need to have that in our mind because at the start of this passage we see that the sin in one sense has been has been dealt with the the sacrifice has been made the fire came down last week we saw to show the sacrifice is accepted god's accepted it you're welcome to come and it is then uh, that we see this prayer starting you see when israel broke um the law in one sense when they went against god when they worshiped baal they weren't just breaking the rules here's a god who they were breaking his heart that's why in the old testament it talks about spiritual adultery in one sense god says i am i am committing myself to you like a marriage i am yours you are mine and what did they do they were unfaithful they committed spiritual adultery and that shows that it breaks god's heart see prayer is relational and we're drawing close to a person not a thing a person and so we need to be remembering that as we think about our lives and the wrong that we end up doing and how that affects us in prayer psalm 66 says this if i would have cherished iniquity in my heart the lord would not have listened now here's a way of thinking about it think about a relationship that we have in this world maybe with a spouse or maybe with a close friend and you do something that upsets them and then you say sorry but then you keep on doing it how would that relationship go well you wouldn't grow closer would you you'd grow further apart you know you if, if you do something that takes it to the next level of hurt betrayal or lies again that relationship will just grow further and further apart now here's two words we need to get to understand what this means for us in prayer we need to understand these two words communion with god and union with christ okay there's two words to understand because the bible speaks about this when you trust in jesus you're united to him you are united to him and nothing can change that you are forgiven once and for all for all your sin and you are accepted in christ so whenever you wake up if you're trusting in jesus there's not a cloud between you and god because you're in christ and it is accepted as the son is accepted by the father and that does not change but there's something else we need to be aware of as well and that is communion with god and that is the relationship how we feel about him and our even though our union with jesus cannot change our communion with god well that that can be affected by how we live that's why if you live in sin and going against what god wants you'll feel a distance from him you will because we've broken his heart in the same way that you can be married to somebody and yet you can just drift apart you can be have a closeness at a time or you can have a time where you feel less close you can have a strong or a weak marriage even though you're still married so how can we know communion with god how can we know a nearness with god if we feel a distance well we need to remind ourselves that we're united to jesus we need to remember that i am accepted in him and i'm in the family i am loved by him with an everlasting love that cannot be broken and we go to god and we tell him about it we say god i am sorry that i've been doing these things i'm sorry i've been living in this way that has broken your heart i am please forgive me and then we look to the cross and we remember that we are forgiven in him once and for all 
And here's an encouragement this morning. If this morning you long to know a nearness of God in your heart, then that is given to you by God. That is proof that his spirit is near you and that he's working in you. He hasn't given up on you. And even bringing you here this morning could be God's way of reminding you to say, come back, come back. You know, stop wondering. Come closer to me. Speak to me. So talk to God. Confess your sin. Tell him what you've done. So you need to remember, those two words are really important. Union with Christ does not change. But communion with God, that can affect how we feel towards God. So let's uh, search our hearts this morning and see what is there in here. Is there anything that I'm keeping in here that God doesn't love, that is keeping me distant from him? Maybe this morning you're not a Christian and you're thinking, well, there's no way God would hear me. There's no way I can talk to God. Well, here again, this is why Jesus came. He came so that we could be forgiven of all our sin, right uh, from the beginning, the first sin we ever committed to the last one, uh, present, future, uh, and past, all forgiven. And you can come to him today, whatever you've done. There's forgiveness on offer from Jesus. So come to him. And and that's why it's important to see that prayer is relational. So talking to a person, getting to know him, drawing close to him. So that's the first thing about prayer that we see here is it is relational. The second thing that prayer is, it's about relying. It's about relying. Look at verse 41 and 42. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. So face between his knees, his forehead would have been on the floor, um, and that is the posture of a servant. So if you'd have looked at Elijah, he looked like servants looked. That's where, how they were. So his body was showing what was going on in his heart. His body was showing what was going on in his heart. And he was saying this, God, I can't do this without you. God, I am weak, but you are strong. God, I am your servant. I am relying on you. I need you. So Elijah here is acknowledging his weakness. He is humble before God. And as you look at Elijah's track record over these past few chapters, what did we see? He knows he can only do things because God worked through him. Remember he raised the widow's son? How did he do that? He prayed to God. Remember when the fire came down from heaven? How did that happen? He prayed to God. We're going to see um, when he's feeling burnt out in the next chapter. How does he get out of that? He speaks and he prays to God. Elijah is a man who is totally dependent on God, totally relying on him for help. He knows he's in desperate need. And when we think about prayer and us, it reminds us that we need God. We can't do things on our own. We're relying on him. And the amount we pray shows how much we rely on him. If we don't pray, we think we can do it on our own. And if we do, we're showing we need him. Now, just a moment, just to think about this posture where, um, and how Elijah was um, on, on the floor, as it were, praying. Where, now, maybe this morning, that could be something that we can think about. Well, it is going to be something we can think about. It's something we could think about doing in our lives. Perhaps for you, the thought of getting down on your knees makes you wince with pain. And, you know, there's no kind of hard and fast rule on this. But maybe for some here, you might think, actually, when I pray, maybe I will try getting down on my knees. Why not? Let's see what it's like. It shows, isn't it? Our outward posture can show something of our inward heart. You might want to try it. Again, if that's going to cause you to be down on your knees for the rest of the day because you can't get up, that's not something I'm advocating. But 
the more important thing here is what our heart is showing. What is our heart showing about prayer? Is it saying, God, I'm relying on you? Let's look over the last week. How much have you and I prayed? How much have we really been relying on him? How much does that show how much we think we can do on our own? We say, don't we, so often, oh, I, I can't do anything without God's help. But our prayer life can often betray that and show something else. We can actually end up being functional atheists. If our lives were lined up next to somebody who's an atheist, would it look much different week to week? See, prayer shows we're relying on God. And we need to trust him in prayer because we can't do it on our own. I want to just jump down a bit and look at verse 43 because this shows us another way in which Elijah relies on God because he prays, doesn't he, for the rain to come. And he sends a servant in verse 43, says, go and have a look towards the sea. You know, he prays and he says, go and see. And is there rain? No. He has to send his servant back seven times. He keeps praying and he sends his servant back seven times. And we're wondering, well, is it going to happen? There's tension here. They're going to like, where's the rain? Is it going to come? Now, there's an element of prayer that is totally mysterious. Sometimes we see God answering prayer in the way we expect. It's amazing to see it. But other times we see nothing. We need to remember God always answers prayer. Always. It'll either be a yes, no, or a wait. Yeah, yes, no, wait. He always answers, but sometimes we just wonder, what is he doing? Think of the last, when we looked at it last week, he prayed for the fire to come, and the fire came. He prayed for the boy to be raised from the dead, and he was risen. But here, there's nothing. It's strange, isn't it? And what do we do with that? Maybe you're here this morning and you've prayed for something for a long time and there's just no answer. Well, the honest truth is we don't know why. We don't know why God decides to work in that way sometimes. We really don't. He works in mysterious ways. But prayer is us humbly relying on God to say, God, I'm praying for this. I'm going to keep praying for this, as we'll see in a moment. But I know you, you know what's best. I'm going to keep on praying because I believe this is right, but we need to trust him for the answer. So if this morning you're confused about God not answering and wondering what to do, we're going to see what to do in the next moment. But there is an element in prayer where we just say, God, I don't get it. Why this? Why now? We don't know, and it's hard. But we can trust in his goodness, even in our confusion. Trust that he is working out his purposes. So prayer is relational. It's relying, it's this humility and saying, God, we need you. But also, kind of quickly on the back of that, we need to look at this third thing, which is this. Prayer is repeating. It's repeating. Uh, notice here, Elijah prays for rain, and he tells the servant, go. And the servant comes back and says, there's nothing. Uh, and he says, go again. And he keeps on praying. He keeps on asking. And eventually, the cloud comes. Eventually, the rain breaks through. And we see God answers prayer. Now, with prayer, sometimes we do see answers straight away. Maybe we could go around the room today and say, tell us, over the last month, how have you seen God answering prayer? And I'm sure we'd see many different ways, just maybe small things that God has done. He just said, you know, we answered this prayer. We prayed for this, and this happened. And we see him answering regularly. But sometimes it can take years and years and years. Maybe you're praying for a loved one to become a Christian, for somebody to come to know Jesus. 
and you've been praying and praying and it doesn't doesn't seem to be any movement at all well here we see the reminder as we see taught throughout the bible keep praying keep asking keep seeking keep knocking i've mentioned before about george muller who is the um, christian worker in bristol um, who god used in in wonderful ways there as he looked after orphans in orphanages there uh, but in his diaries he wrote about five people he started to pray for he says this in november 1844 i began to pray for the conversion of five individuals i prayed every day without single intermission whether sick or in ill, Ill health uh, on the land or on the sea whatever the pressure of my engagement might be 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted i thanked god and prayed on for the others five years elapsed and then the second one was converted i thanked god for the second and i prayed for the other three day by day i continued to pray for them and six years passed before the third was converted i thanked god for the three and went on praying for the other two these two remained unconverted so 36 years after he started praying then he wrote the other two still weren't saved and he wrote i hope in god i pray on and look for the answer they're not converted yet but they will be in 1897 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these people they were finally converted but he never saw it because he'd already died he never saw the answer to prayer but he kept praying and he said muller understood what luke meant when he introduced the parable jesus told about prayer saying jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up keep on praying you know close to home we've seen that haven't we we remember with a couple of members of peniel who are now in glory they prayed for their daughter for 40 years and um, for her to be saved and after 40 years she did and then we hear last week that she suddenly went to glory but she was right with her heavenly father she was right with god 40 years of praying don't give up keep on praying read this in a, a, a book by peter grieg he writes about this in prayer in prayer we appeal to the gentleness of christ's nature as well as his power and engage with the complex free will of people he loves that's why prayer for people generally works slowly like water seeping silently into tiny cracks of a vast vast boulder for a long time nothing may appear to have changed our prayers resembling mere dribbles of water appear to be entirely different nature than the substance of a rock but then there comes the first great freeze of winter some circumstances beyond human control and overnight as if by magic as if struck by lightning the boulder splits open he says when you pray at first it seems like a drip of water against a big boulder who's going to win now who's going to win against this tiny drop against this huge rock but keep on praying keep on praying and you see the water seeps in and suddenly there's a great freeze there's this one event and it breaks open See, we can trust in God and we can keep praying. Prayer is about repeating. So maybe that's something that you need to hear this morning that God has brought you here to hear. Don't give up. Keep praying. And let's share together how we're seeing God answering his prayers, answering these prayers. So prayer is relational. It's relying. It's repeating. But also it's remembering. Why here does Elijah pray for rain? he prays for rain because in chapter 18 verse 1 um, after many days we're told the word of the lord came to elijah 
in the third year saying go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth God speaks to Elijah and he says Elijah the rain is coming so Elijah then goes to pray now we might think well if God's promise is gonna happen why does he bother praying God said it's gonna happen Elijah sit back put your feet up don't bother praying but no instead Elijah gets down his hands and knees and he pleads with God for rain well here Elijah showing us really important uh, lesson of prayer so often in the Bible we see prayer and God's promises work hand in hand so God has planned that our prayers will be used to accomplish his purposes God has planned that our prayers will be used to accomplish his purposes isn't that amazing he doesn't need us but he wants to use us to help accomplish his plans so we see this in a few places one example is in Isaiah 11 it promises there that God's kingdom is coming the king is coming his kingdom's coming but what does Jesus tell us to pray in the Lord's Prayer thy kingdom come but he's promised it will come pray it and pray it every day just like you pray for forgiveness and bread pray every day that the kingdom will come but you've promised it will pray he wants to use our prayers in his plan to accomplish his purposes or in Revelation 22 Jesus says behold I'm coming soon he says that lots in Revelation but what does John pray come Lord Jesus but he said he would come Lord Jesus God wants to use our prayers uh, and um, uh, to accomplish his purposes in a wonderful way God has built prayer God's people's prayer into his grand plan he doesn't need us he could do it all on his own but he loves to hear his children pray and loves to use us in these purposes sorry the new Jerusalem it will come isn't it yeah the kingdom will come now in um, uh, C.S. Lewis's books on Narnia the magician's nephew there's a good example of this uh, so this Lion King Aslan has sent two children Polly and Diggory on this mission with Fledge who's a flying horse that talks obviously and uh, after a while they discover they've got no food so they've gone on this adventure that Aslan has sent them on they've got no food and Polly and Diggory are dismayed and they say this well I do think someone might have arranged our meals said Diggory I'm sure Aslan would have if you'd have asked him said Fledge wouldn't he know without being asked said Polly I've no doubt he would said the horse but I've sort of the idea he likes to be asked I've sort of the idea he likes to be asked God in some mysterious and glorious way has built in our prayers to his plan to accomplish his purposes so how does that help us well we realize God wants to use us in his plan and so we pray and we say God would you make this happen we go to his word we find these promises that are assured of happening and we say God you've said that if we share your word there will be growth there will be um, people saved and so we're going to keep on sowing we're going to keep on preaching your word won't come to you and return to you void we go to his word and say Lord you've said that you will forgive people who confess their sins. so I'm confessing my sin and you've promised to forgive Lord you have promised that Jesus is coming back Lord Jesus come back we go to his word we find these promises and we say Lord you've said now do this do this save rescue work change me you've promised that you would make Christians more like Jesus I want to be more like Jesus Lord do this in my life do this in my heart and so we do that we repeat it we don't give up we hold on to it we wrestle with it in prayer and we realize that God uses that in his plan to accomplish his purposes that's how God uses promises that's how God uses remembering what he has said to help us in our prayer life that's why when we read the Bible 
prayer goes hand in hand. We read and we hear from God, but then we speak back to God what he's told us. We show him his own handwriting. And we say, God, you've said this, now do it. We pray that God would help us in that. Let's not um, ignore God's word when we come to pray. Let's pray big. Let's expect God to do great things. Because prayer is about remembering what God has promised. So can you see, what is true prayer in this passage? We're seeing prayer is relational. Are we holding on to anything in our heart that's uh, drawing us away from God? Let's repent of that this morning and flee back to him. A prayer is about relying on God, this, this humility of saying, God, we need you. It's about repeating and, and going back to God, keeping on asking. So remembering what God has said and taking his promises back to him in prayer. And the last thing about prayer is this, it is remarkable. <laughs> After all of this, look at verse 44. And the seventh time the servant went back and he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. We've had a bit of that in the last few weeks. What is rain? We've forgotten what it's like. And then you see a cloud, you think, oh, look, it's coming. And we seem to have missed it. Maybe we've had a few showers, but there's not much. But here they've been there for, uh, for so long, for so many years, three years without rain. And then finally this cloud appears and it comes and God has answered Elijah's prayer. He promised he'd do it. Elijah still prayed and God answered his prayer. God of heaven, who doesn't need us, uses his servant's prayer to accomplish his purposes. Now, God has the power to do whatever he wants. He has the power to stop rain, to start rain. He has the power to keep his promises, even though it might go against everything else that makes sense. God can do it, and he does amazing things in prayer. Prayer is remarkable because God, the God of heaven, the God who is all-powerful, can do wonderful things. Now, today, the challenge to us is, do we believe that God answers prayer? If he does, what's stopping us from speaking to him and bringing, pouring out our heart before him? Do you believe he is powerful enough to do glorious things in our life, in our church? Do we believe that God can do mighty things here? If we do, does our prayer life reflect that? Individually and as a church, are we saying, God, we need you to work? And here's a, a challenging thought for us. In our lives, are we attempting to do things that we could do on our own, really, and then we pray about God for God to help us with them? Or are we attempting great things for God because we realize if he does this, only he can do it. We cannot do this on our own. How big is our faith? How big is our God? Prayer is remarkable because he answers prayer. Let's pray for big things from a great God because he is all powerful. So prayer, it is an invitation from God to come and draw near, to draw close to him. Now maybe this morning you're struggling in prayer. You can't remember the last time you spent any lengthy time in prayer. How do we finish this together? Well, God is waiting. He's waiting for you to draw close. In Revelation 3, Jesus says these words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Is he knocking on your heart this morning? Saying, come on, talk to me. Tell me these things you're worried about. Bring your requests before me. I am a generous God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There's intimacy there. God wants this closeness, this intimacy with us. Come back to him this morning. And maybe you're not a Christian and you're wondering, well, what does this mean for me? 
Well, the start of the Christian life is a prayer. It's a call for help, a call for Jesus to work in our hearts and say, God, will you save me? Will you rescue me? I'm sorry for what I've done. Thank you for sending Jesus. Please help me to live for you. That's how prayer, that's how the Christian life starts and that's how it carries on, depending on him. So maybe for the first time this morning, you need to call out. You need to reach out and say, Jesus, save me. And he will. He answers that prayer all the time. He'll never turn anyone away. So let's pray this week that our prayer life would um, reflect something of his um, nearness and his work in our lives. And we'd see God do remarkable things uh, over these coming weeks and months and years as we humbly rely on him. Let's spend a few moments just in silence to reflect on what we've heard and, and just to pray something that God has put on our heart this morning. Uh, so I'll leave a bit of silence just for us to reflect on that together. God of heaven, we thank you for the invitation we've heard this morning from your word to draw close and to speak to you, to talk to you. We pray this week we would know times of real joy as we pour out our hearts and bring our needs before you, that we would see you working in power um, through your prayers, uh, through these prayers of your people for your glory. And Lord, we pray that we'd be able to stand back in amazement as we see you answering prayer after prayer, uh, as we see you building your church, building the kingdom. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.